We read together from the Word of God as we turn to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, reading in chapter 15 and beginning to read at verse number 12. Great chapter on the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. Uh, First of all, in the opening verses, uh, and then the implications of that for the Christian. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. More and more, the basic doctrines of the Christian faith are misunderstood. We live in a society, of course, that increasingly has no awareness of the very basics of the Christian faith, and they're baffled by the kinds of things that Christians believe. And even Christians, sadly, at times are confused about what we might think of our fundamentals of the faith. Few doctrines, I think, are more misunderstood outside the church and even within the church than the doctrine of heaven. It's often dismissed as belief in pie in the sky, 
These Christians, they can't cope with life in the world as it really is, and so they manufacture hope of a life to come. And what sophisticated, educated 21st century person would believe such stuff? But often Christians themselves are confused about what they should believe about heaven. And perhaps the common ideas about heaven that so many have contribute to that. Ideas of spending eternity floating in a cloud playing a harp. Well, perhaps that isn't tremendously attractive. And maybe if you thought that was all you'd be doing forever and ever, Heaven wouldn't seem to be a tremendously desirable place. It can seem to be a very colorless and quite unattractive place. And perhaps the truth is that even for Christians, the reality we now have and what we now know seems more attractive than a heaven that appears maybe remote and Hard to understand. There is a profound lack of true heavenly mindedness among Christians. And yet we must remember that as far as the Bible is concerned, the doctrine of heaven is an important part of the gospel message. When you look in the book of Acts, for example, at the preaching of the apostles, they preach Christ crucified and risen and returning and the implications of that for sinners. And the doctrine of heaven wasn't an optional extra in the gospel. It is fundamental to what the gospel is about. Indeed, as Paul writes, Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19, we read it earlier, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. That's a very powerful statement, isn't it? The Christian is one who looks forward to greater joy than he's ever experienced in the life to come. The Christian is a man, a woman of hope, hope in the Lord. And we want to think of this great doctrine for a time this morning. We're thinking of heaven, our final home. Heaven, our final home. What has the Bible to say about heaven? What are the myths? What are the biblical truths We need to understand for the good of our own hearts and souls and also that we need to grasp in order to be able to communicate the gospel clearly. If we're not clear, we'll not be able to tell anybody else clearly about our hope as believers. Heaven, our final home. Well, the first thing we need to say is salvation is essential. Salvation is essential. That has to be our starting point. And two things in particular that we need to remind ourselves of as we think of how salvation is essential. 
First of all, the Bible shows us heaven is only for those who are saved. Heaven is only for those who are saved. The Bible makes clear, wherever it talks about this subject, 1 Corinthians 15 and in many other parts of the Scripture, always makes it clear that the enjoyment of heaven is only for those who've received the gift of salvation through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Heaven is not for anyone else. Revelation 21 and verse 27, we're told nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. You see, heaven is where a holy God is. That is really the most basic characteristic of heaven. It's where a holy God is. And sinners cannot enter the presence of this holy God and bring their sin with them. They can't be in his presence as sinners. He can't be in theirs. It's impossible for unsaved sinners to be in heaven. And the truth is, actually, if by some means uh, they were brought to heaven, they would hate it because it would be so contrary in its purity and its holiness to what they are in their hearts. They would loathe heaven. They couldn't stand it. And it is to his disciples that the Lord Jesus Christ says the wonderful words of promise in John 14. He tells them, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. To his disciples, to those who trust in him, Jesus makes that promise. They will be where he is. So we've got to start at this point. We start somewhere else we are liable to go wrong. To have a share in heaven, you need to repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. To have any share in heaven, that is what you have to do. There is no other door into heaven. There is no other way of access. When the Philippian jailer ran into Paul's presence, desperate about his eternal welfare, Acts 16, and he said to Paul, what must I do to be saved the answer Paul gave him and the answer he would give to any of us, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You need to realize you're a sinner. You need to realize you need a savior. And you need to realize only Jesus can save you. So heaven is only for those who are saved. And if it should be as you sit here this morning, and you're not saved, you haven't trusted in Christ, then you do not have a share in heaven. You do not have any way of access at this moment into heaven. Heaven's only for those who are saved. Salvation's essential. 
But also the second thing we need to say about salvation being essential is this. Heaven is guaranteed for those who are saved. Heaven is guaranteed for those who are saved. Entrance into heaven is a part of the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to repentant sinners. Once the Lord has forgiven your sin, then you can be sure that he's going to complete the work of salvation that he started in you by taking you to be with him in glory. That is an absolute certainty that you can have as you sit here this morning. If the Lord has forgiven your sin, you can be sure of glory. The Lord binds his people to himself in an unbreakable bond. Listen to Jesus' promise to believers in John chapter 10. That's a chapter about Jesus as the good shepherd. Verse 28 of John 10, the Lord Jesus says this, I give them, that's he gives his sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Could you have any greater assurance than that? From the lips of the Savior himself, nobody can snatch you out of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can snatch you out of the hand of the Father himself. You're held secure. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not need to be wondering or worrying. Will I reach heaven? If you're saved, then the Lord has given his promise. You will experience the joys of heaven. We can hear the the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in the Savior and in the work of salvation at the end of Romans 8. The whole chapter is a glorious chapter, Romans 8. But at the end of the chapter, Paul surveys the entire creation, the whole universe, all the things that might lead us to wonder, might something separate us from God's love, might something rob us of heaven. And he comes to the triumphant conclusion when he's thought of life and death, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come. All of that, he says. He looks at it and he surveys it and he says, nothing in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we can be sure of heaven. Because it's God's love that's provided it for us. And it's God's love that will take us there. And nothing can separate us from that love. When you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be absolutely sure of heaven. It's not arrogant. It's not proud to say, I'm sure I'm going. We're trusting not in ourselves, not in the strength of our faith, but we're trusting in Christ. 
and in the love of God we experience in him. Salvation is essential. Heaven is only for those who are saved, and heaven is guaranteed for those who are saved. Salvation is essential. Are you saved today? That really is the crucial question. Are you saved? Are you trusting in Christ for salvation? If you're not, you have no hope of heaven. If you are, you can be sure of heaven. Salvation is essential. But let's think now a little about believers after death. What exactly lies beyond death for those who belong to the Lord? As we said earlier, when we were singing a portion of Psalm 16, you'll often read that Old Testament believers didn't have a hope of heaven, of an afterlife. At best, they believed in some sort of shadowy world. They weren't looking forward to life with God, looking forward to heaven. And yet, when we look carefully at the Old Testament, at Psalm 16, for example, we see they did have a hope of fellowship with God after death. We find it also in Psalm 73 that we'll be singing at the end of this service. The contrast there is between the life of the ungodly with no hope and then the climax that the godly, the believer, looks forward to. Verse 24 of Psalm 73, Afterwards you will take me into glory. So it's there, even in the Old Testament. Certainly not as clearly as now we can see it in the light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And there's much Old Testament believers couldn't see, but they knew enough. And they had a hope of fellowship with God beyond the grave. But of course, it's made so much clearer in the New Testament. There we are shown there is no break in the conscious fellowship believers have with the Lord at death. In spirit, believers are with the Lord. We quote often the answer to the shorter catechism question, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And that is wonderfully true and thoroughly biblical. There's no period of unconsciousness or soul sleep when the Christian isn't aware of his heavenly father? Certainly not. There is much, of course, about that life we can't understand. It's beyond our experience. If the Lord had told us, we we wouldn't grasp it. But the most important thing of which we are absolutely sure is we will be with the Lord. And if we know that, we can leave the rest to him. We don't need to worry about it. In Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus says uh, to the dying thief beside him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. What a promise to that dying man who believed in Christ almost with his last breath. Today you'll be with me in paradise. 
know, the cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe in the soul sleeping after death have to twist a verse like that. And if you open the New World Translation of the Bible, the JW Bible, that verse is translated, I tell you the truth today, you'll be with me in paradise at some distant time after your soul has slept for centuries. It's nonsense. It's a desperate attempt to avoid Jesus' clear promise right that day that saved sinner would be with him in glory. What a promise. Elsewhere in the scriptures we can think of Philippians 1. Paul's dilemma about life and death. Did he want to stay in this world? Did he want to go uh, to heaven? What would he choose? And he says to die is gain. And he writes about how he wants to depart and be with Christ. Without getting into the complications of the Greek, ask me if you want to know more. It's clear in the original uh, that Paul envisages that to depart is to be with Christ. There's no gap in between. There is no idea that he'll depart this life and at some distant time he'll be with Christ. To depart this life is to be with Christ. It's as clear as it could be. They are two sides of the one coin. To depart is to be with Christ. There's no period of unconsciousness that the Christian will experience. That's why Paul says it is far better to depart. Better than fellowship with Christ now in this world, though it's imperfect? Yes. Why is it better to depart? It's because he will be immediately with Christ in the glory of heaven. And the very same thing we see in 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 6 to 8. These are verses to know and to be able to turn to for your own encouragement. 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 6 to 8. And there Paul writes about how at the moment he's at home in the body and absent from the Lord. That's our condition now as Christians. We're here at home in the body. We're absent from the Lord. But Paul writes about his hope as a Christian. That one day, he says, he would be away from the body and at home with the Lord. At home with the Lord. It is a beautiful domestic word. At home with the Lord. Not just present with the Lord, some of the translations. At home with the Lord. That's his true home. And he could look forward to it. And again, just like Philippians 1, it's unmistakably clear that to be away from the body is immediately to be at home with the Lord. There's no gap. There's no period of your spirit being unconscious or unaware the moment you cease to be in the body, you are immediately at home with the Lord. 
immediate transition to heavenly glory and perfect fellowship with the Lord. And that is what every believer can look forward to. Not just a select few. Not just the the especially spiritual or the particularly blessed. And there's something less for ordinary believers. This is for all of God's people. Every one who belongs to Christ has this hope after death. The moment we cease to be alive in the body, we are immediately at home with the Lord. Can't you see why Paul described that as gain? And why for him it was far better None of the failures and the sins and the struggles and the hardships of this life any longer. At that moment, he enters into the Lord's presence and he's at home. He's at home. No doubt, believers entering the Lord's presence say to them often, say to themselves, I'm home at last. This is where I belong. I always knew it. Believers after death, immediately in the presence of the Savior, in the perfections of heaven. What a hope to have in the face of inevitable death, to have that hope of glory and to know that's what God has prepared for you. And as a saved sinner, you'll be there. That's not minimizing the trauma that death can bring. And sometimes the pain and the difficulties. But what a hope to have. To be able to look forward to. That's the Christian's hope that the world knows nothing of. And never will until it turns to Christ. Salvation is essential. The believer after death. One thing finally we need to consider, and that is the new creation. The new creation. Of course, already when you are saved, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. And 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's what you are if you're a Christian. The power of God has made you a new person. And at death, your spirit is perfected and you pass into the presence of the Lord. You're at home with him. But even that isn't all that the Lord has for his people. It isn't even the best that the Lord has for his people. You see, he saves us as complete people, people who have a body as well as a soul. The Lord doesn't just save souls. Sometimes that expression is used, but he saves people who've got bodies as well as souls. Our bodies share in salvation, and our bodies will share in the glory of the Lord when he comes back again, as he surely will. Christ is risen. 
And we have the promise in Philippians 3.21 that the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He will transform us and we will have glorious bodies. We will share in resurrection and indeed the whole of 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. Read through it for yourself. See what the apostle says. In eternity, Christians will have glorified material bodies that can be touched and felt as the body of Jesus was after the resurrection. Glorified, perfected, but they'll be bodies. They will share in salvation. And the Lord's going to prepare a suitable home for his resurrected people. Where are we going to live in these glorious bodies? And the Bible tells us the final goal of our Christian hope is set out for us in 2 Peter 3 and verse 13. In keeping with God's promise, we are told, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The climax of God's plan of salvation will be a renewal, not just of individuals, but a renewal of the whole creation. And that is the goal towards which God's grace is working. Christian hope embraces the material creation. You see, when Christ comes back again, God is not going to scrap this creation as if he scrunched it up and threw it away because it's imperfect. He doesn't do that with us when he saves us. He renews us and transforms us. And that's what he's going to do to the whole creation. He's going to renew it and transform it. The devil is not going to succeed in robbing God of this creation. He will not succeed in any detail. God will perfect this creation. Paul writes about it in Romans 8. And how the creation's groaning and longing for that day of perfection, and it's going to come. What about heaven? We've been talking about heaven and now I'm talking about the new creation and how do the two relate to each other? And the answer is heaven is where God dwells. And heaven will include the new creation where God will dwell in his glory and his majesty. Heaven will embrace the new creation, the home of God's resurrected saints. There is no conflict, there's no tension between heaven and the new creation. They will all be one. God will dwell with his risen saints forever and ever. Of course, there's a lot about that new creation we can't understand. We couldn't grasp it if God told us. The reality will be beyond anything we've ever experienced. It'll be more glorious than Eden was. If you ever think, God, oh, it'd be marvelous to be in the Garden of Eden. 
Well, God is going to put you in a place that will far outshine the Garden of Eden, the glorious new creation, a world surely that will be full of sound and color and activity, not colorless, not transparent like the kinds of popular ideas of heaven. It'll be full of color and sound and beauty that reflects the beauty of God, that will satisfy every part of Christian's heart and life. Do we enjoy beauty in this world? The new creation will satisfy it. Do we enjoy music? The new creation will satisfy it. Every aspect of our being will be fully satisfied in the beauties of the new creation. And we will fill our potential, our God-given potential, in every possible way. Who knows what our resurrection bodies will be capable of? With all the weaknesses and the pains and everything else about this life gone forever, what will those bodies be able to do? I don't know. But it'll be marvelous to be there. A new creation, heaven, that will reflect the richness of our Creator and our Redeemer. We will be with the Lord forever. The beautiful bride described in Revelation 21. And we'll dwell with Him. We will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Hardly imagine a world where there's no sin, no failure, no temptation. It's so different from what we experience day by day. We'll not be inactive. We'll not be sitting bored for eternity. We'll be busy. don't know what we'll be doing, but we'll be busy. We'll be serving the Lord. We'll be glorifying him in everything that we do. But the most important thing is we'll be with the Lord. And if we've that, if we've him, we've everything. And we can leave all the things we don't understand and can't understand in his hands. And he will work them out according to his perfect purpose. We need be in no doubt about that. And the Lord will bring his plan of salvation to a glorious and a triumphant conclusion. The new creation will be heaven. The people of God, their purified souls, their transformed bodies to serve the Lord throughout eternity, to enjoy all that the Lord wills us to be without any possibility of losing it. That's the hope a Christian has. That's the hope you have today if you are a Christian, if you're trusting in Christ. It's something that should delight your heart Something should fill you with praise to the Lord's name. And if you're not a Christian today, do not delay. The Lord's given you another opportunity today to believe in Christ. He may never give you another. 
And without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, heaven is an impossibility. And you'll never be there. Make sure you're trusting in Christ. Heaven's only for those who trust in Christ. But heaven is sure for those who trust in Christ.